Experts podcast on key insights from the political agreement on the AI Act. And this will be part one of the podcast on the new European AI regulation as it stands now. One of the most hottest and debatest uh, topics in the regulatory environment uh, uh, as we speak. Uh, my name is uh, Feo Sikking. I will be uh, your host today for this podcast, and I'm joined by my colleagues Simon Hemt. Uh, hi, Simon. Good to see you. And on the other hand, uh, Oliver Bellitz, uh, also here in the, in the studio. Welcome to the both of you on this podcast. And the podcast will have two parts, and this will be part one, uh, in which we will be discussing uh, the overall proposal for the Artificial Intelligence Act, uh, which is on play at the moment in, the, in Brussels, uh, the risks that are, uh, uh, are being addressed, risk categories, prohibitions, um, uh, fundamental rights, uh, uh, in essence, the, the core of the, uh, the regulation. And the second part of the podcast uh, will be about uh, general purpose AI models, open source systems, enforcement penalties, and all things you need to think of when applying uh, artificial intelligence and with the regulation uh, coming uh, forward uh, pretty shortly. Uh, and we will end the podcast, uh, the second one, with some things to keep in mind when, when you're in the industry. And just before Valentine's Day, two European committees, IMCO and LIBE, rubber-stamped the final text of the Artificial Intelligence Act, paving the way for the formal adoption in the plenary vote, which is scheduled in the European Parliament in April. So we may expect the Artificial Intelligence Act to be formally published in the European Journal in May. And the last 12 months have been particularly exciting for everybody following the negotiations in the Brussels arena. We do get many questions from clients on, uh, on AI, also in helping them to start building an AI compliance framework. Uh, so the, this podcast also dwells on the experience we have in talking to our clients on how to do this and to, uh, to, to bring them to the next level of, of, of compliance given the stages where we are uh, in. Um, so that by means of an introduction, then uh, we go to the heart of the content. But before we jump into the regulation, uh, first question uh, to you, uh, Simon, um, why do we actually need an AI regulation in Europe? Many thanks, Feo, for the intro and for the first question. Yeah, I think um, every AI is everywhere. We hear about new developments almost on a daily basis, be it in the news or in read on social media, some new posts about it. So um, there are many benefits and many use cases for AI. Let's think, think of AI-generated advertising, media, video games. We can use it in, in the research. We can use it for healthcare, for infrastructure, for logistics, consumer goods. The list goes on and on. But um, there are also some risks for these use cases, and the risks differ massively. While AI-generated content poses yeah, maybe some low transparency risk for some citizens, the control 
of critical infrastructure with an AI or public biometric surveillance of all citizens is, is associated with risks that we are not really willing to accept or they are so high that we need some regulation to cover it. So the European legislator therefore decided to regulate these risks in a tired model by a comprehensive set of rules which is called the EU AI Act. So the aim is to create a level playing field for all providers and deployers of AI in order to protect the right of EU citizens. Yeah. And I'm sure that this regulation, once it's out there, it will serve as, a, as an example uh, in the so-called Brussels effect for other uh, uh, jurisdictions as well. Uh, when, when I was in Washington, in last November to speak about uh, the uh, AI regulation in Europe, I noticed there's a great interest from the US audience and US businesses to see how we deal with it in Europe, not only for them in terms of doing business in Europe, but also to anticipate what might be coming towards them in the, in the US. And, th and that kind of shows the, the, the large interest we see in, in, this, in this regulation. So there is a clear need for a regulation in terms of risk management and to, to create a coherent approach and, and also preventing people from, uh, from the need to invent the wheel themselves and all the uncertainties that would uh, be pursuant to that. Um, then if you go a bit deeper, um, which are the risks that these new AI rules will address? The AI Act is fundamentally a product safety law. Uh, its core task is to find appropriate answers um, to different risk profiles of AI applications. Um, so it, the AI Act is protecting safety, fundamental rights, and yeah, also the democracy itself. So if you think of the safety of citizens, for instance, um, when we kind of control our infrastructure with AI, think of heating, electricity, or water supply, this could definitely um, yeah, pose dangers to life or health for, for the citizens. Also, you think of um, various degrees of severity. Um, AI can also interfere with people's fundamental rights. If an AI decides... Um, on the admission to a university or a job or grants a loan or makes decision in law enforcement. It's you also mean a biased, a biased outcome of algorithms? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like um, if you got a black box, an AI algorithm, um, and you cannot kind of, yeah, understand the decision, yeah, this opacity, which will, a subject we can discuss, discuss later on. It's, yeah, it's important to understand why I'm not getting this loan. So, um, yeah, uh, there are many risks uh, with AI systems. So um, it's def definitely the AI will need to find answers and does find answers for product safety, fundamental rights, and democracy. Yeah. Yeah. The, these risks seem, the examples you give are focused on what it would mean for you and me as, as an end user, as a consumer. Can, can you give us some examples how this would turn out in business-to-business -business relationships? In business-to-business -business relationships is also um, very important if we work together, like if we just um, um, find some tools we, we use in clinics or in life science sector, it's also important um, 
between companies that there's level playing field that um, other companies can rely on that the AI provider is yeah is compliant with specific standards which in, in, in particular the uh, AI act is setting up so it's yeah kind of a great yeah act that is yeah setting the stage to um, implement um, standards for all um, stakeholders in the market. That really make, makes sense, I would, uh, I would say. Another question to you, uh, Simon. Whom does this act apply to? Is, is it only applicable to companies who have uh, act f from Europe? Or how about companies outside Europe? Um, the key criterion uh, for the applicability of the EUI Act um, is whether the AI is placed on the union market, like as a product or a service, or its use affects people located in the EU. So um, the, the next step would be that addressees are providers and deployer of AI systems, um, which are placed in the European market or affect people here. Deployer, that's that's a difficult word. Is is that the same as a user or is that different? Deployer is, is uh, for instance, a company which is using an AI tool, like um, a company is implementing a large language model as a chatbot, like a bank, for instance, or um, it could be also a healthcare provider, which is using an, an analytic AI to just um, analyze some CT screenings, for instance. So this is the deployer. Yeah. So that means it, it has a very broad scope. Uh, everything that's being used and placed on the market in the EU is, is likely to fall within the scope of the uh, of the regulation. So whenever you do something in Europe with AI, regardless whether you are an EU business or operating outside of the EU, you still need to look into whether you are, uh, fall within the scope with with the products you use and deploy um yeah let's talk about the risk uh, categories um, um the ai act has a risk-based approach uh, and there's a lot of talks of what what those categories uh, exactly uh, uh, mean uh, maybe a good one for, to pass over to you uh, oliver from how does that look like and simon please jump in whenever you think that is necessary. Yes, of course. We, we already talked about this uh, tiered approach. So um, the core mechanic of the AI Act is that the AI Act categorizes AI systems into certain categories uh, depending on how much risk they pose for humans. And uh, maybe the first category is not uh, AI act not applicable to that AI system that is, for example, military use. Military use is um, explicitly excluded from the scope of the AI act. The next category is minimal risk that maybe we will talk about that later, that those are AI systems that only have to adhere to certain basic principles without a sanction if they do not adhere to that, uh, to those principles, um, then we have uh, a category for certain AI systems that is a kind of basic transparency that applies to AI systems that are 
that are built for human interaction, AI systems that we right now call generative AI, AI systems that produce pictures, text, and video, that we have a certain transparency obligation to, um, to forbid uh, deep fakes, what we call deep fakes. And uh, then we get to the high risk category. Uh, so I think we will talk about that in more depth uh, in a minute. Um, there we have some pretty strict obligations facing deployers and providers of those systems. Um, next category is uh, general purpose AI. I think you already said this will be the, the focus of our second part of the podcast. And then the, the last category is um, prohibited systems. So systems that are not allowed um, regardless of, um, of how you use it and how you deploy it. There has been lots of talks on which type of system would fall in, in which category. Uh, and that now, uh, and, and that's being uh, transcribed into um, the annexes of the uh, of the regulation. Um, but then, then still the question come up, uh, assuming that the AI will be adopted as it is now, uh, will, will there still be room for AI systems and models which are don't do not uh, do not have to adhere to any obligation or all. Uh, is, there, is there still a subcategory under minimum risk? Well, so the the minimal risk category uh, kind of changed in the last draft. You you spoke about the leak before this leak uh, in the version in the political um, agreement that was uh, reached in December. And um, we had an article that talked about basic principles, and it was was not clear back then whether there will be any sanctions if you do not adhere to those, uh, those uh, principles. Uh, in the current league, no article speaks about uh, those basic principles anymore. They are only mentioned in a recital. So the, let's say the scope of this, uh, of this category changed a bit, and now it is more of a recommendation so to say. So a lot of AI systems will fall into that category, which we call, that's not a term of the AI Act, which we called uh, minimal risk, and they, um, they shall adhere to those basic principles. And we are not sure whether that was taken out on purpose or that it was an omission, but that does have consequences in practice, uh, whether uh, uh, there is still a category left, which doesn't there which is no need to adhere to the general principles or not so that's definitely something to look at later on yes and and this will be the majority of ai systems yeah exactly so one can hardly say that that it will be an omission which was not made on purpose but um well let's see how that how that turns out but definitely something to look into yeah so um talking about how do companies how can i know whether an ai system is high risk, what, what do I need to do? If I was a company, what do I need to do? The current version of the AI Act provides for a certain uh, system for classifying whether an AI system is high risk or whether it is not. Um, I would say it is a three-step system. The first step is if an AI system is intended to be used as a safety component, uh, component for certain products and those products are listed in an annex um, 
for example, machine, machinery or um, I, personal watercrafts, lifts, pressure equipment, um, all, all kinds of products that fall under a certain product safety regime in the EU. If the AI system is intended to be a safety component in those products, that is high-risk AI. That is the first step. The second step, um, I think you've already mentioned that we have currently an annex number three, and the annex number three lists certain use cases that will indicate that a certain AI system is high risk. That is the second step. And the third step um, is a filter system that came up in the trilogue negotiations somewhere in September last year. Um, those are exemptions. That was a new invention in, in terms of uh, regulation. I haven't seen it before. That's, that's completely right. So I think uh, some member states were afraid that too many AI systems will fall under the um, high-risk category because uh, it's relatively easy to fall. I think we will talk about the, the, the examples, but for example, um, critical infrastructure or law enforcement, it is, there are a lot of AI systems that could fall in this use case category. And then um, they wanted to make sure that only systems that actually pose a high risk for humans fall under that category. And they tried to achieve that by implementing a new so-called filter system. And the filter system is nothing more than four exceptions. Um, and if one of those exceptions apply, an AI system is no longer a high-risk AI system. And um, those are, for example, um, if the AI system is only performing a narrow procedural task. So we will have to see what exactly is a narrow procedural task, and, but that would be one of those uh, exceptions. And then an AI system, for example, um, used in critical infrastructure is no longer high-risk AI. So companies need to follow a three-step approach uh, to see whether their, uh, their, their product is listed uh, in general, uh, in product safety uh, regulation or whether it's on the list and if so whether any filter conditions uh, apply and that still is very broad um, but um, i'm sure the commission will be coming with some further guidance on uh, on that um, two topics uh, shortly to uh, discuss before we round up um, uh, one of the most heated points was the uh, the, the prohibitions which ai systems will be prohibited. Um, can you give us some examples, uh, Oliver? Yes, of course. Um, so one example would be uh, social scoring. So if you use an AI system to create a scoring system for uh, all people that will later on decide whether they will be able to get a certain job, for example, or if they get a certain flat, so social scoring is prohibited. Um, predictive policing is prohibited as well. So for example, if you use certain characteristics of a human being and then come to the conclusion that this human being will commit a certain crime and you start law enforcement based on that information alone without a human in the loop, 
that would be prohibited um, as well. So another one is, uh, for example, em uh, emotion recognition in the workplace. So there are some examples for, for prohibited systems. Yeah, a facial recognition uh, uh, real time and exposed has been very much uh, heated, but uh, will be allowed on the very strict conditions uh, for law enforcement uh, purposes. And the exact wording will tell us how, how strong those, those requirements will uh, will uh, will be. Uh, but that, that has definitely been one of the, uh, the most heated uh, topics uh, in the discussion so far. Um, last topic uh, for now to discuss is, um, uh, we, Simon, we briefly touched upon fundamental rights already. Um, that, that one of the new things that comes up that a fundamental rights impact assessment has to, has to be done. That must be quite a challenge because the fundamental rights concept, uh, it is clear what it, what it is, but how to do that and who, who should do it? Yeah, um, this is, uh, that was new in the, um, um, the latest version, not in the January version, but the December version of the AI Act. We found that um, bodies um, that provide public services, either governed by public or private law, like banks or insurers, have to conduct a fundamental right impact assessment here. And, and what is it? This assessment should um, include details of how the high-risk AI system will be utilized within the deployer's operations. Um, for instance, the duration and the frequency of its intended use, the types of individuals and groups who are likely to be impacted by its um, deployment in the specific context, the particular risks of harm that could affect these individual or groups, a description of how human oversight will be implemented, and the measures planned in the event of a risk realization. So um, this will be definitely a new obligation um, for deployers of such high-risk systems that um, provide for public services. And yeah, it's really advisable to prepare in advance and yeah, to established the structures to comply with it i would say a fundamental rights assessment in itself is fundamental for for, for applying high risk systems and 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 how that would work out is is also something that that needs to be to be tested also in conjunction with the uh, the, the the gdpr the uh, privacy regulation which is uh, which is in place lots of uh, food for thought and, and thinking and how that would uh, would work out but uh, uh, for now we come to a close of part one of this uh, session many thanks to you uh, simon hemd and oliver billets for taking us to the, the essence of the artificial intelligence regulation yeah in part two of this podcast we will address general purpose ai models how they will be regulated uh, the threshold for uh, general purpose AI models, systemic risks, biometric identification, open source AI systems, how to deal with it, uh, bias, enforcement, penalties, and some things to keep in mind when applying the AI Act. Thanks for now, and stay tuned, and stay healthy, and stay safe with AI.